0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening. It's nice to be back in person, and to those on Zoom, and to those on the podcast. We are continuing the story of Yaakov's departure from his family home, after the crisis over the allocation of the brachat between him and Esau, and we come to Pasuk hey uh, After, sorry, Perikav Chet, Pasuk Hei, at the end of Sedra of Toldot. After Rivka has said to Yitzchak, it will be a good idea for Yaakov to find a wife, Yitzchak then gives Yaakov a blessing, and then in Pasuk Hei v'yishlach, Yitzchak el Yaakov, sorry, Et Yaakov, Yitzchak sent Yaakov, baYelech Padana Aram, and he went to Paden Aram, El Lavan ben Betuel Ha'arami, to the house of Lavan, the son of Batuel, the Aramite, Ahi Rivka, who was the brother of Rivka, Aim Yaakov v'Eisov, who was the mother of Yaakov and Esav. And Rashi gives a very interesting comment on this um, phrase. And I, would like to take Rashi simply at his word on the words "Aim Yaakov Esav," describing Lavan as the brother of Rivka, who is the mother of Yaakov and Esav. Says Rashi, "Ein Yodeya Ma Malam deindu. I do not know what this teaches us. So Rashi is saying, "Sorry, Gov, I don't know what this means." Perakavchet pasuk Hey, I don't know what this means. As I say, um, I'd like to take this at face value. This is Rashi being honest. And a, uh, uh, one of the marks of a wise person, as we learn in Pirkei Avot, is when they don't know the answer, to say, I don't know the answer. And it seems to me that Rashi is perplexed why it needs to say "Am Yakov We know very well that Rivka is Am Yakov Now, by the way, we also know that Lavan is Achi Rivka. But that perhaps is not a problem for Rashi, it's not something that Rashi needs to comment on, because there's a good reason why it would say achi Rivka, because Yitzchak is sending Yaakov away to a strange place, it makes sense to say it's not so strange. He's going to the house of Lavan, who is the brother of Rivka. So there's a logical reason why the Pasek would say that Lavan is achi uh, Rivka. But why it would say that Lavan is Isahi Rivka, the brother of Rivka, and Rivka is the mother of Yaakov and Esau, says, Rashi, I don't know, which seems to me, and to most proportion would take Rashi at his face value, to say that there is a problem here. This is a question which we would expect Rashi to answer, but Rashi hasn't got an answer. I think there's about four places in Qumsh where he says that, approximately. Now, having said that, Others try to find a reason why it should say aim Yaakov for Um One suggestion, which obviously Rashi doesn't accept, um, but I saw this in a couple of places, is that Rivka has just said, I'm worried about Yaakov dying. I'm worried that um, there's going to be enmity between Esau and Yaakov. Esau will try to kill Yaakov and I will be shakul mishnehem the rest of the two of you on one day um, and so the postic needs to stress that even though Rivka obviously was partisan between the two brothers and was acting in favor of Yaakov and was encouraging Yaakov to get the better of Aesop she's still the mother of Yaakov and Aesop and she still has all the maternal feelings for Aesop as well so don't think that she hasn't got those feelings for Aesop she is a Yaakov Aesop so that's that's one answer which obviously Rashi doesn't consider because Rashi starts and sticks with now I did see um I think it's a very uh, far-fetched shot, but it's worth sharing the uh, the muscular David says this is this words is not said by Rashi about Rashi but is said by Yitzchak it's the words that Rashi is adding to Yitzchak so the pasuk reads Yitzchak sends Yaakov, and Yaakov goes to Padan Aram, to Laban ben Betu'al Arami, Rivka, Yaakov Esav. And Yitzchak adds, according to Rashi, I don't know, ma'la what this teaches us. The fact that she is the mother of Yitzchak and Esav, what does this mean? So the Gemara says that if you want to know, if a, a man wants to know what sort of children he will have from his wife, he should look at the wife's brother. Because the wife's brother is a good indicator of what sort of children the wife will have. And we learned this from the fact that we learned that uh, Avraham, sorry, Aaron married Elisheva. And the Torah goes out of its way to say that Sheva was the sister of? who <laughs> who's pretty good. So it's a good reason for um, Aaron to marry her. Um, I apologize if this sounds horribly gendered. It's what the Gomorrah says, so I don't apologize that much. Um, so what does that tell you about on so we can the process works in reverse we can learn about the uncle from the nephews but there's a problem in this case what's the problem there's two very different nephews what? so Yitzhak says look the the sister of Lavan gave birth to Yitzchak uh, sorry Yaakov and Esau so I don't know what sort of person ya- Lavan is because I can't derive from the presence of the nephews because the nephews give two possible interpretations so as I say, I don't think this really is Prashati Rashi, but it's very clever. So Yitzchak says that Lavan is Achi Rivka Aim Yaakov Esav. And according to this way of reading Rashi, Yitzchak adds, Aini Yadea I don't know what this teaches us, namely that Lavan being the uncle of two very different nephews, I don't know what that unclehood tells us because I haven't got enough information. As I say, I don't think that's Rashi. I think Rashi is saying, I don't know. But I think it's, it's, it's quite a clever interpretation. Then we have Pasuk Vav. Esav <laughs> saw that Yitzhak had blessed Yaakov and he had sent him I put it into the pluperfect perfect to make sense that Yitzhak had sent Yaakov to misham isha, to take for himself from there a wife, when he blessed him, because the whole sending away was tied up with the blessing him, and that Yitzhak had commanded him saying, don't take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, no Rashi there, but that's also useful because I want to link straight on to Pasuk Zion, Yishma Yaakov, and Yaakov listened to his father, mo, and to his mother, padena Aram. And he went to Padanaram, which, by the way, we were told he went to Padanaram back in Pasuk A. Not just Yitzchak sent him, but padena Aram. So we're told it in Pasuk A, We're told it again in Pasuk Zion. Um, and I want to go, even though there's Rashi on Zion I want to also go to Chet, which says but not Canaan. Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were wicked, but in the eyes of Yitzchak, his father. And then he went and married someone else who he thought would be a bit more kosher. She wasn't really, but he thought she'd be a bit more kosher. That's the next puzzle. But now we want to see Rashi on Zion, on the words by Yaakov, which means Yaakov heard, listen to Yaakov, listen to his father, and he went to Badan Aram. Says Rashi, Mechuba le'inyan sholmala, this phrase, Vayishma Yaakov, is connected to the previous matter. What's the previous matter? Pasuk Vav, which Rashi now quotes, Vayar Esav ki veRach Yitzchak saw that Yitzhak had blessed, etc. I.e., Esav saw that Yitzchak had blessed Yaakov, Oto Aram, and that he had sent him to Padan Aram. He's, he's rephrased Pasuk Vav slightly and that Yaakov had listened to his father and that he had gone to Padanaram. Kanaan, and that the daughters of Canaan were bad and then that's Pasuk Tet Esav went to Yishmael, Uncle Yishmael to find a wife for himself what's Rashi doing? So I'll tell you what is saying, if it's not clear, and then I'll tell you what Rashi's doing, in my opinion. He is saying that the words by Yishma Yaakov are all part of the subsidiary clause, and the substantive clause starts with the first two words of Vav, by Yar Asav saw. Now, what did he see? Now, it's clear from passage Vav, he saw that Yitzhak had blessed Yaakov, and that Yitzhak had sent Yaakov to Padanaram to find a wife. And he commanded him not to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. That's all what Esav saw. But Rashi's Chiddush is, Pasuk Zayn is a continuation of that. But Yishma Yaakov and Esav saw that, a- that Yaakov had l- listened to him. And Esav saw that Yaakov had gone to Padonaram. Aram. In other words, Pasuk Zion is not a substantive clause in its own right. It's part of the continuation of what Esav saw. And that also applies to Pasuk Chet which Rashi mentions here, even though he's talking on Pasuk Zion, namely that, and that Aesop saw that the wives uh, were, the daughters of Canaan were bad, which led Aesop to do what he does in Pasuk Tet, which is to go and find a better sort of wife. What Rashi is really answering is the problem of the vav. What does a vav mean? So we mentioned this before. A child learning Hebrew learns that a vav is the easiest word of all. It's just the translation of and. In Hebrew, it's one letter. In English, it's three letters. That's it. But that's not the story. Vav is a very, very subtle tool in the hands of the writers of Hebrew. It can mean and. Uh, it can mean not and. It can be a vav, a, hypoch, a vav that converts a verb into the past. So if you just read Posthic Zion on its own, which you shouldn't go into Rashi, vayishma yaakov. So if you look at the King James Bible, every word, every sentence begins with and. And then a little kid says, you're not supposed to begin a sentence with and. That's bad grammar. Ah, the Bible's different. No, actually, the Bible translation is wrong. And even though it's after King James, which is a good sort of person with a good name, um, every time it says, and Yaakov listened, that's not really right. Now, okay, there were great scholars translating every Bible up till recently. So maybe they had their reasons. But really, by Yishma, if this is not the way Rashi reads it, but if Va'yishma were Yishma in the future, Va'yishma makes it in the past, that doesn't mean and he heard, that just means he heard. Now, that's the digression, because what we're concentrating on here is that Vav can also mean and that, not just and, but and that. So you go back to Pasuk Vav. Va'yar Esav, Esav saw, ki varech el yakov that Yitzchak blessed Yaakov. V'shilachotou padana Aram, and he sent him to Padana Aram. No, it means... And that he sent him to Paddan Aram. Esau saw that Yitzchak had sent Yaakov to Padanaram. Aram. And the Chidosh of Rashi is that Pasuk Zion is the continuation of that. So the Vav of Yishma Yaakov means, And that Yaakov listened to his father. Now, why does Rashi say this? Because otherwise, there's no new information in Pasuk Zion. We've already seen it in Pasuk Hay. Pasuk Hay says... Yitzchak sent Yaakov, and Yaakov went to Padan Aram. Now, it's true; it doesn't say that Yitzhak, sorry that Yaakov listened to Yitzchak, but it's pretty obvious that's what he did, because he did exactly what he was told. Aram. That's what I'm reading for pasuk Hay. So why is that all repeated in pasuk Zion? And Rashi answers that by saying it's not new information; it's not new narrative; it's all contained within what Aesov saw which explains what Aesop did in Pasuk Tet. So if we take now Vav, Zayin, Chet as a unit, Aesop saw that Yaakov was the golden boy, Yaakov gets the blessings, and Yaakov does what he's told by Yitzhak and goes and gets a good wife. Ah, maybe that's why he's the golden boy. Maybe I, Aesop, should also do the same thing, which leads up to Pasuk Tet. Yes, please. Uh, I was just wondering, in so Pasuk Vav and Pasuk Chet, they mentioned it. It's also with Yitzhak and the father, and then, but Zion in the middle mentions the mother as well, um, which I thought was new. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that puzzling? Um, it is. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's not puzzling that y- Yaakov listened to his mother and father. Sure. And in fact, that is, uh, explains a lot. Um, he went to Pagan Aram because his father told him to find a wife. Mm-hmm. He got out of Be'er Sheva, where they were living, because his mother told him to run away. So. In, he, was doing, he was listening to his mother and father, who actually had a different agenda, but by the same act that he was doing. So that's actually very nice. What's not so good is to say that as part of what Rashi's saying, that the whole of Possexion Zion is what Aesop saw. Yeah. So it's actually hard. You've raised a very good question. Yeah. That once we say that Posig Zion is all, as Rashi says, what Aesop saw, why would Aesop be particular that Yaakov is listening to his father and to his mother? I don't know and especially when it hasn't been mentioned before everything in this 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 mini parent pastor has been about the Yitzchak to Yaakov Yitzchak blesses Yaakov Yitzchak instructs Yaakov Yaakov does what Yitzchak says so even though it's very easy to understand that he's also listening to his mother it is certainly odd but that hasn't been mentioned before and it pops up here and I haven't got an answer why and as usual you know I'm going to say Rashi doesn't see it as a problem so we'll move on okay So what happens in Pasek text? Esav el Yishmael. went to Yishmael. et Machalat that Yishmael. And he took Machalat, the daughter of Yishmael, Ben Avraham, the son of Abraham. that's Yishmael's son of Abraham. Achot Neviot. that's Machalat, is the sister of Neviot, who is Yishmael's firstborn. Machalat is the younger sister. Al-Nashav, on top of his wives, or as Rashi will say, in addition to his existing wives, lo Isha to him for a wife. So we have a monstery—I shouldn't say monster—about a Rashi. We have a long Rashi to come, and then we have a little Rashi about the words al nashav. So you'll have to be patient before we Rashi comments on the words al nashav. But the basic idea is that Yitzhak decides to go to um, do something. Yaakov-like, which is find a wife from within the family. So Yitzchak sends Yaakov to Rivka's brother, so Aesov thinks, well I can achieve the same sort of result by going to Yitzchak's brother, uh, and that's an interesting idea. I was about to say, ah, he doesn't get the fact that Yitzchak, Ishmael is not such a role model, and actually it's not such a good point, because Lavon is certainly not a good role model either. So Yishmael being Yitzchak's brother who's not so good, Is no worse than perhaps, at least in in, uh, Asov's calculation, than Lavan Rivka's brother, who's also not so good. But it doesn't turn out so well. Rachel and Leah are certainly worthy of being the Imahot. Machalat apparently isn't. So Asov tries to do something that will seem good in the eyes of Yitzchak, which, according to Rashi, is what he's always trying to do. It turns out not so good. I think actually, rather than take a long, long time to go through this long Rashi. I will just go straight out of order to Rashi on Al Nashav. So right at the end of Rashi on Pasuk Tet, it says, "Hosif Risha Al Rishato." He added wickedness on top of his wickedness. Shalo Geresh Et Ha Rishanot. He did not divorce the original wives. In other words, Rashi's explaining Al Nashav. Uh, literally, it means on top of his wives, which doesn't make any sense. So Rashi explains it means in addition to his wives, but what's the point, what's the Torah adding? Why does the Torah have to tell us it was, he took a new wife in addition to his existing wives. Now, what do we know about those existing wives? Back at the end of Peret Kaf Vav, they were serving idolatry in the house of Yitzhak and Rivka, maybe not literally, but it was pretty bad. And they were a cause of Marat Ruach to Yitzhak and Rivka, to a bad spirit. To, they were clearly not loved by Yitzchak and Rivka, and yet Yaakov, sorry, Asav does not get it according to this Rashi. Asav does not get the fact that it's not a question of adding an extra wife who might not be so bad because she's a cousin, but rather it's what the problem was. He should have got rid of his first wives, which were the problem, and he didn't. And that is how Rashi A explains Al Nashav, and B tells us what we learn from Al Nashav. We are coming up to Elo. And, and many people have the custom of uh, learning Hilchat Teshuva in El they're not learning it, but thinking about it. Um, and there's a famous metaphor used by the Rambam, I think it comes from the Gemara, um, that somebody who does Teshuvah, but has not really removed the sin from their heart and does not really resolve not to repeat the sin is Ketovol Vesheretz Biyado, someone who immerses in a mikvah because he's become Tameh from contact with a reptile and the reptile still in his hand. So even as he goes into the mikvah and as he comes out of the mikvah, he's still impure, he's still tamay because he's still holding on to the sherets, the reptile. So that's the Rambam's metaphor. It's a very hard-hitting metaphor for somebody who tries to do shuva but hasn't removed the sin. So it seems to me that this is exactly Esau in a very practical, obvious way. He's got the problem, that he's married these uh, improper wives who are worshipping idols, and his solution is to find another wife, but he's still got the bad wives, and he's not getting rid of them. And that is Rashi's stresses, and that's what Rashi learns from al nasha Okay, are we ready for a big Rashi? Which is big, um, and it's made even bigger by an extra bit, which is almost definitely not Rashi's own words, and sometimes I would take the sort of easy route of just not learning that bit. This time I will, because it's quite nice, but I will remember it's not Rashi's words, which means I don't have to answer hard questions about it. (laughs) But we will start. now. Um, the, the single question that Rushi's answering, he explains very clearly at the beginning. <clears throat> and he remembers, so without giving too much away at this stage, there's a textual problem in the puzzle, which he Rushi identifies at the very beginning. It's no secret. And solving the textual problem then leads to finding out much more information about the chronology of Yaakov's life. Um, I hope it doesn't seem too complicated. Um, it's not really. And um, I actually, well, after we've gone through it, I'll sum it up very simply in a way that hopefully will be very, very clear. But the question that we start with is Achot neviot. Why are we told that Machalat is the sister of neviot? We're told that she's the daughter of Yishmael, and that's how most people are identified, by their father. So to be identified by their father and their brother is very rare. Um, we mentioned that Sheva we're told specifically, is the brother of Nachshan. Um, there's a reason for that. But why are we told that Machalat is the sister of Neviot, as well as being told that she's the daughter of Yishmael? And Rashi says, From the fact that it says she's the daughter of Yishmael, Do I not know that she's the sister of Neviot? Yes, I do, because if I look in Parakafay Pasik Yud Gimel, it will tell me the lineage of Yishmael, and I'll know exactly that if she's the daughter of Yishmael, she must be the sister of Neviat. So why do I need to be told that? So says Rashi, it's telling us something so that we can date this event, the event of the day that Yaakov took the brachat. What was that time? How old was Yaakov at that time? Because Ayla. But this issue of identifying Machalat as both the daughter of Yishmael and the sister of Neviot, it teaches us that Yishmael died before. Oh sorry, after Machalat had been betrothed to Esav, before he married her, the his so by the time they came to the wedding Yishmael had died and therefore she was as it were married off by her brother Naviot. Okay very gendered sorry um, but uh, certainly in those times to some extent till these times um, a bride is given away by her father and if the father's not there to give away the bride so the older brother does the job. So the fact that the older brother is mentioned tells us, and this is the answer to why the older brother is mentioned, that he must have had some part in the betrothal stroke wedding process. Yishmael is also mentioned. So there's two parts to the process. There's the betrothal, there's the and conclusion, the betrothal and the we- and the marriage. So Yishmael betrothes her, but Naviot marries her off because Yishmael had died. And assuming, we can assume that the whole thing takes place fairly quickly, because after all, aesov has n- got a need to marry this woman, to impress, impress his parents. So we can assume that it wasn't that he got betrothed while Yishmael was still alive and then got married a long, long time later. We can assume they all, the events are telescoped all around the same time. So that means at the time of this event, when the brachas are taken by Yaakov, that's the time that Aesov gets betrothed to via his father-in-law Yishmael, but Yishmael dies very quickly after that. That's the key, uh, the chiddush, that We're learning at this point. So uh, line oh, um, in my book is line three, but you've got different books. For Lamanu Shaya Yaakov, oh sorry, but Lamadnu, and therefore we learn Ya'kov, but that Yaakov at that time was Ben Samach Gimo Shanim. He was 63. Now, how are we gonna learn in 63? We now know that at the same time as the Bracha were taken was the time that Yishmael died. So if we can work out how old Yaakov is when Yishmael dies, that's how old Yaakov is when he gets the brachas. Okay? Because Yishmael dies at the same time as the brachas, that's, that's what we learn from the relevance of Yishmael and Naviat mentioned in the passage. So can we work out how old Yitzha, uh, Yaakov was when Yishmael died? Yes, we can. Let's read on. Shahare, because Yishmael Ben Ayyin Dalat Shanim Haya Kashanolad Yaakov. Yishmael was 60, sorry, 74 years old when Yaakov was born. How do we know that? Because Yudalat Shana Haya Gadol Yishmael me Yitzchak. Yitzchak, sorry, Yishmael was 14 years older than Yitzchak. Because we know that Abraham was 86 when Yishmael was born, because we're told that. We know that Abraham was 100 when Yitzchak was born. There's your 14 years. So we know there's enough um, things which are explicit in the Chumish as we're going to go through them, which gives us things on which we can hang everything else. So we know for sure Abraham was 86 when Yishmael was born. Abraham was 100 when Yitzchak was born. Therefore Yishmael is 14 years older than Yitzchak. And And Yitzchak was 60 when Yaakov and Esau were born. We're told that explicitly. So So therefore, when Yitzchak is 60, Yishmael is 74. And when Yitzchak is 60, Yaakov is born. So Yishmael is 74 when Yaakov is born. Everyone with us so far? And we're also told that Yishmael died when he was 137. Ah, we're getting somewhere. If Yishmael is 74 when Yitzhak Yaakov is born, I do apologize for mixing up Yitzhak and Yishmael every single time. And I just did it then. I meant Yitzhak and Yaakov every single time. I think it's probably easier. Every time I say Yitzhak, I think I'm meaning ya- Yaakov. It'll save a lot of time. Okay. So y- Yishmael is 137 when he dies. Yishmael is 74 when Yitzchak is born. Sorry, I, let's read on a little bit. Uh, Rashi says, "Shanatav Hayu Kuflamazai, that Yishmael's years were 137, Shine <inaudible> because it says for Eilah Chaya etc. It tells us explicitly, these are the life, the years of the life of Yishmael. It was 137. Nimsa Yaakov Kashmait Yishmael Ben Samach Gimel Shanim Haya. And therefore, we can see that Yaakov, when Yishmael died, was 63. Because Yishmael died at 137, when Yishmael was 74, Yaakov was born. 137 take away 74 leaves 63. So, all those pictures and all those images of uh, young Yishmael, sorry, young Yaakov and Esau, arguing over the brachat when they were teenagers or, or young men. Is not correct. They were 63. Now, you might think, by the way, this all hangs on a somewhat uh, tortuous reading of this pasuk about the sister and the father. Yes, it does. But without that, Yaakov must be much older when this, this event took place, as I will explain. So Yaakov is 63 at this time. We've worked that out because this is the time when Yishmael died. And Yishmael dies when Yaakov is 63. Now, so what? So comes somebody else. And we learn from this, that he was hidden in the house of Aver, who was Aver, Shem's great-grandson, as in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver. Why not Shem and Aver anymore? Because Shem's died. Because if you do all the math, you find that Shem dies when Yaakov is 50 years old. We've got all the numbers, we've got all the ages of every generation from Shame down to Yaakov. And we can see that Shame dies when Yaakov was 50 years old. How, is Yaakov, how old is Yaakov at this time? 63. So who's running the yeshiva? Ava And that's why Rashi is very precise. He talks about Yaakov going to the house of Ava doesn't mention Shame, for 14 years. Now, we don't know where these 14 years come from. In a minute, we're going to start working backwards from a much later event in Yaakov's life. And we're going to see, I'll tell you now, we're going to see that he arrives in Loven's house when he's 77. We haven't shown that yet. We're going to show that by working backwards from when he was older. Um, but that's where the 14 years come from. It has to be, as I say, working backwards from a later event, as we will see soon. It has to be that Yaakov arrived at Loven's house when he was 77. If Yaakov was 63 at the time when he left the house, he left Yitzhak's house, what did he do between the age of 63 and the age of 77? He had to do something for those 14 years. So that's the source that Yaakov was learning with Eva, hidden away for 14 years. As I say, if you don't go by this analysis, this Neviot Yishmael bit, then you have to say that there was no gap between Yaakov leaving uh, Beersheva Yitzchak's house and Yaakov arriving in Loven's house which would have meant that since we know as I'm about to show you that Yaakov must have arrived in Loven's house when he was 77 it would you would have to say that he left yeah, Yitzchak's house when he was 77 which makes him even older than 63 um, to say he's only 63 is makes him 14 years younger than he otherwise would have been so if he doesn't arrive in Loven's house till 77 as we will see later and he doesn't he leaves Yaakov uh, Yitzchak's house at 63, what's in the middle? 14 years in the house of Ava. And after that, he went to Haram. Now, how do we know those 14 years? So I've already told you we're going to show that Yaakov arrives at Lavan's house when he's 77. How do we know that? Because, Lo Because, he did not stay in the house of Laban before the birth of Yosef only 14 years. How do I know that? Ma, because it says, so after, you no, know, when he wants to run away, at the final encounter between Yaakov and Laban, he says to Yaakov says to Lavan, I've worked for you for 14 years, for your two daughters, for and another six years for your flock. Now, so Yaakov tells us that his time with Laban, which was divided, which was 20 years in total, was 14 years, the seven years working for Rachel, and then another seven years working for Rachel, and then six years working for the flock. That's when, after the 14 years were up, Laban said okay what do you want to do now in terms of your wages and that's when Yaakov said I'll have to spot the spotted sheep and the speckled sheep and there was another six years when he worked for those sheep but what triggered the new arrangement the trigger of the new arrangement after 14 years was when Yaakov said I'm going I'm finished I've done my 14 years I'm going but what triggered that that was the birth of Yosef so we know the birth of Yosef was at the end of the 14 years. So that's why Rashi here says Yaakov stayed in Lovin's house for 14 years until Yosef was born. Then there was another six years while he was still in Loven's house. But the key point is Yosef was born 14 years after he arrives in Lovin's house. So, son nolad Yosef Hayah, the reward, the salary of the flock, the speckled and the spotted flock, that was after the birth of Yosef. And we know that explicitly because Shneema says, Yosef, et cetera. When Yerachel bore Yosef, dot, dot, dot. That's when Yaakov said to Lavan, I'm off. And Lavan said, no, don't go. We'll make a new arrangement. And that's the last six years. But that birth of Yosef is the end of the 14 years. Now, what else do we know about Yosef? Let's keep going. For Yosef, ben Lamad shana ayah Kushamalas. Yosef was 30 when he was appointed ruler over Egypt. How do I know that? Because the POSIX says explicitly that Yosef was 30. She, um, and then, um-isham Yaakov, le-mitzrayim, From the time that Yosef was appointed at the age of 30 until the time that Yosef descended to Egypt was nine years. How do I know that? ubet sholra'av seven years of famine famine, no sorry seven years of plenty and two years of famine how do we know there were seven years of plenty because we do how do we know there was two years of famine before Yaakov arrived because when Yosef revealed himself to his brothers he said don't worry don't feel bad Hashem sent me here to save everyone because there's been two years of famine so far and there's five more to come so again Yosef says explicitly, we're not making this up, it's not a midrash. Yosef says explicitly, um, we've been, it's been nine years, seven years of plenty and two years of famine. Nine years since Yosef was appointed ruler. So, how old is Yosef when his family arrive in Egypt? Anyone? 39. Correct, thank you. 39. He was 30 when he was appointed. Immediately, there's seven years of plenty, there's two years of Famine, and then the brothers and Yaakov all come down, not at the same time, but that's when Yaakov comes down. So Yaakov comes down when Yosef is 39. Nearly, We're nearly finished. Um, but Yaakov Omar ala Pharaoh, and when Yaakov came down, he said to Pharaoh, Ya may Shanei, me gurei, the de dels de are my journey." Pharaoh asked him a funny question, which we'll get to much, much later. Um, when we get to the of Yegosh, and Paro's funny question was, how old are you? a bit rude, really. He meets Yaakov for the first time, and he says, gosh, you're old. How old are you? And Yaakov's answer is, the days of the sojournings are shaloshim umeyah shana, 130 years. He's 130 years old. Now, the next few lines are a little bit more complicated than need be. I'm going to simplify them, and then we'll go through them. I'll tell you what. The simple answer, the simple point is this. He's now 130. How old is Yosef when Yaakov is 130? 39. Yosef is 39, Yaakov was 130 at the same time. Which means, how old was Yaakov when Yosef was born? 91. 130, take away 39. Leaves 91. Yaakov was born, sorry, Yaakov was 91 when Yosef was born. How long had Yaakov been in Loven's house when Yosef was born? 14 years. So how old was Yaakov when he arrived at Leven's house? 91 minus 14, 77. And how old was he at the time the brachas were taken? 63, 14 years missing. Now, that's the simple way to read the next few lines of Rashi. Rashi makes it a little bit more complicated at this point, but that's that's the, all the math that you actually need. Yosef is 130 when, sorry, Yaakov is 130 when Yosef is 39, which means Yaakov uh, was 91 when Yosef was born. Yosef was born 14 years after Yaakov arrived at Lovin's house, which means Yaakov arrived at Lavin's house when he was 77. And, no? No, it's just like, I can't believe he was so old. when he like listening to his mom about how to see. yeah but he wasn't according to actually, he wasn't 77 he was 63 right okay it's still no no spring chicken <laughs> <laughs> yeah i imagine this teenager like bye, mom but no well I'll tell you one thing one little piece of musa um this teaches you what kibbutz aim is you know we often say to little children kibbutz aim is not making a noise when your parents are trying to sleep and maybe when they're a little bit older helping with the washing up Perhaps we should teach them more that Kibbutz applies when you're adults. Just as much, if not even more so, because there's more ways that you can show Kibbutz aim. So we can learn from the fact that he's 63. Yeah, he's not, actually, he's not a grandfather at all, but he could have been a grandfather. could be a great grandfather. Um, and his mother says, this is what you've got to do. And he says, yes, mum," Because yeah. that's Kibbutz aim. Okay, so you get the point. We've proved from the numbers in the Chumish that Yaakov was 77 when he arrived at Lavan's house. Sorry to keep repeating this. The chiddush of this Pasuk, based on the death of Yishmael, is that Yaakov is 63 when he gets the brachas. And there's a missing 14 years, which Rashi says he was um, in Ava's house. Let's go back to the Rashi, because I said I've simplified the next bit. Rashi makes it a little bit more complicated than than I think is necessary. Um, Yaakov tells Paro, but he's 130. Say the go and calculate. 14 years laid at Yosef, 14 years from when Yaakov arrived in Lavan's house until Yosef was born. Ushaloshim And then there's another 30 years of Yosef. So the way he's doing it, he's going forward from whenever Yosef was born. Um, oh sorry, he's going forward from whenever Yaakov arrived in Laban's house, but he, he that's the unknown at the moment. But there's forty-four years on from that to when Yosef is thirty, Vitesha Mishamalach Ad Shabbat Yaakov, and then another nine until Yaakov arrived. So where are we up to? Forty-four plus nine is fifty-three. Hare Nun Gimel, that is fifty-three. Uka Shapiresh Me Aviv, and when Yaakov separated from his father, Haya Ben Samach Gimel, he was sixty-three as we started. Hare Kuf Yud so sixty-three. And then the 53 from the time that Yaakov's in Loven's house until Yaakov comes to Egypt, 63 and 53, that makes 116. But he said to Paro, but I'm 130. So we're missing 14 years. So as I say, my way of calculating it with all... The ultimate respect to Rashi, I think my way was simpler. Rashi's working backwards from, or he's working fromwards from, but the time that is unknown, the time when he arrives in Laman's house. Go forward 14 to Yosef is born, another 30 to when Yosef is appointed, another 9 to when Yaakov arrives in Egypt. You add up all the numbers, you get to 116, but Yaakov says, I'm 130, so there's a missing 14 years. The 14 years between the ages of 63 and the ages of 77. And so this teaches you that after he received the brachat, he was hidden in the house of Ava for 14 years. Any questions? Yes. Ah, okay, okay, so that you're right, that, that's Rashi using a midrash. So Rashi proves that there's a missing 14 years. So where was he? Did he go on a Europe trip? No. So Rashi, you're right, there's no proof in the Pesach. The Midrash says that's where he was. And then that sort of fits in with other things that Rashi's going to say later. And it also fits in with our idea of Yaakov being the Ishtam Yosheva Halot. He wants to learn Torah. So he now takes this opportunity. Uh, you can go a little bit further. I'm not answering your question, but you can go a little bit further that he needs to learn in order to face up to Laban. He knows Laban's going to be a really tricky customer, so he needs all the learning he can get. So he has a uh, special course for 14 years in handling the world. But that's not, Rashi doesn't prove that, Rashi just sets out the base of the Midrash. Now, from now on to the end of the paragraph, um, I wonder if you all, in all your books, there's more Rashi, starting with the words, um, avallone enash, he was not punished. Okay, this is in brackets in most editions, and it does not exist in any of the key original manuscripts. So I think we can be absolutely sure it's not actual Rashi, but it's quite interesting, so we'll read it anyway. He wasn't punished in the merit of the Torah. What does it mean he wasn't punished? He was punished in a certain way, as we'll see in a minute, for the time that he was away from his father, but not for those 14 years. Because those 14 years were like he was doing something good, so he doesn't get punished for them. The rest of the time he was away from his father, he does get punished. If you think there's an obvious question, we'll deal with that in a little bit in a, in a moment. What do we mean he wasn't punished? And the reason he wasn't punished for those 14 years was Sukhut HaTorah. Shahareh, low Yosef me aviv, elakaf bet shana. Yosef only separated from his father, Ay Yaakov, only 22 years. How do we get 22 years? that is, mi yud at lametet, from the time that Yosef was 17, till the time that Yosef was 39. What's 17 got to do with it? Because the Torah says explicitly at the beginning of Ayeshev, Yosef was 17 when he was sold as a slave. Again, uh, immutable facts in the Torah. And we've proved that Yosef was 39 when he was reunited with Yaakov, 22 years Twenty-two years is significant, because Kaf Bet, which corresponds to the 22 years, Yakov me Aviv, when Yaakov separated from his father, Velo Kibdo and did not honor him. How did you get 22 years that Yaakov was away from his father? I'll show you. Kaf Lavan. He was 20 years in the house of Lava, and we know that because Yaakov said when he left Lava's house, I've been here for 20 years, 14 plus 6. And two years that he delayed on the way home. Because the Pasuk says after he left Haran, after he left Lava's house, after he met uh, Esau and they parted, He came to a place called Sukkot um it says eh uh, perikar lamed lamed gemo yotsaim um the full passage says ba'akov natzach to sukot yakov journey to sukot but even low by he made a house ulamiknehu asas sukot and for his cattle he made sukot booths okhen karashmo shema makom sukot and therefore the name of the place is called sukot and hazav and rashi dash in that passage as we will see later o perish he delayed for 18 months on the way because the Pasuk says to buy it. He built a house that would have been in the rainy season. And Sukkot, that would have been in the sun and the sunny season. Now, what Rashi doesn't say here, it's not actually Rashi, but what this text doesn't say here is how we get from six months of rainy season. Six months of sunny season to two years. Well, we don't actually get to two years. We do get to 18 months because of the way we dash in the passage. Either because the word sukkot appears twice in the That's why I read the whole passage. But but lo miknehu sukkot, sorry, three times. Al Sukkot three times. So it's like three dots of six months, and then six months for the bayat. Or just because the word sukkot is in the plural. So there's at least two sets of sukkot. So sorry, I don't think we go to two years. I think we go to 18 months. And then it took another six months of a little bit of schlepping. He had all the children and all the animals to get. So once we see that he stopped in Sukkot for 18 months, um, And according to the calculation of the Pasukim that we calculated above, from the time that he separated from his father, until the time that he went down to Egypt, Shaya ben Kuflam and when he was already hundred and thirty, Shasham Anu Modsim Shanim. So he separated from sorry, he separated from his father for twenty-two years. Twenty years in Lovin's house and two years delay on the way back. He we see that Yosef separated from him from twenty-two years i'm sorry i'm sorry Yaakov separated from yitzhak from 22 years plus 14 thank you you were ahead of me 22 years plus the 14 he was in yeshiva but we only see 22 years as a sort of payback when Yaakov was separated from his own favorite son and so we see there's a middle connected mida yakov separated from his father for 22 years therefore he's punished by being separated from his son for 22 years. The two 22s is more than a coincidence. They fit perfectly. Yet, Yaakov was actually away from his father for 36 years. But the point that Rashi's making here, or what we ascribe to Rashi, is that 14 of those years don't count because he was learning Torah. Uh, And therefore, let's just conclude, but certainly we can conclude all this. He was Hidden in the house of Ava on his way out, Le Beit Lavan, on his way to Le Bait Lavan, Lil Mod Torah Mimeno, to learn Torah from him. Ubishmilzhuta Torah, and because of the merit of the Torah, Lone Anash Alehem, he was not punished for them. For Low Peresh Yosef Mimeno Ela Kafbet Shana. And Yosef only separated from Yaakov for twenty-two years, Mida Kineged Midah corresponding to a 22 years that Yaakov separated from his father, but not the 14. Now, one thing I said is, um, since this is probably not Rashi, mean, definitely not Rashi, we don't have to ask what, why does Rashi say this? We can just take it as something interesting. What's the obvious question? I told him to go. Ah, very good. That's the obvious question. How can we even talk about Yitzchak, uh, sorry, Yaakov not honoring ya- uh, Yaakov not honoring Yitzchak, when he was pursuing precisely what Yitzhak told him to do, explicitly, Yitzhak said go away. So I saw three answers. So the first answer, and I'm not too convinced by the first two, but I think the third one is very important. The first answer is, there's, punishment, there's a reality Bide Adam and there's a reality Bide Shemayim. The reality Bide Adam, the reality as far as Yitzhak was concerned, was yes, he had told Yaakov to go. But nevertheless, that creates a reality where Yaakov is separated from his father. And Yaakov is not able to be with his father. He's not able to honor his father in a practical and, and, and sort of hierarchical way. He's not able to do that. So even though he had his father's blessing, nay, he had his father's instruction, he creates a reality that he's not honoring his father, which must in some way be atoned for. Okay, answer one. Answer two, and I'm really probably by this one, is that yes, Yitzhak told Yaakov to, to go away but that was only because Rivka told Yitzhak to say that and that was only because Esau wanted to kill Yaakov and that was only because Yaakov had taken the blessings. If Yaakov hadn't taken the blessings, none of this would have happened. So it's Yaakov's fault. Now, I've got a big problem with that because his mother told him to do that. So I'm not quite sure how we can like, start the clock only at Yaakov's agency, because he was fulfilling the instruction of his mother. But let me give you the third answer, which I think is so prescient and is such an important lesson. Yakov was forced to flee from, his, to run away from his father, by circumstances, and indeed his father told him to. And he had to stay in Lavan's house as long as he had to stay. Well, he certainly had to stay for 14 years, because that was the contract he made with Lavan. Um, well, he originally said seven years. Uh, we'll come back. to. There was a reason he said where we can we can actually see for those seven years are sort of justified. We'll see that later. Um, we have seen it. Sorry, we have seen it already. So we, we learned it two weeks ago, I think. Um, Rivka said to Yaakov, how long will you stay in Loven's house? Yamim achadim," Very good. Which Rashi explains were Muatim, a small period of time, which Rashi compares to the seven years that yaakov offered to work for rachel and then because he was tricked that had to be 14 years so you could actually at this point of what i want to say ask why did yaakov choose to spend another six years in Lovin's house? he did that wasn't obligatory that wasn't fulfilling his father's command but even if you have, you want to say there was a reason he had to build up his wealth in order to do what he had to do what about the last two years now that is a problem because if he only went away from his father because his father told him to what should he have done the minute he left lovin's house he should have gone straight back to his father now obviously it would have taken a little while he had all those thoughts and all those children but he stopped in sukkot and he stopped there for 18 months and it's very strange why he did that but there was no cause for him to do that and he didn't go straight back to his father so in the heavenly scales the heavenly scales say you know what there's clearly two years when you failed to honor your father for so no compulsion whatsoever. You just chose not to. So that shows that the previous 20 were also, you weren't uh, stopped from honoring your father just by circumstance. Maybe you weren't honoring your father because you didn't want to. And we can see that you weren't so keen on honoring your father because you didn't do so in those last two years by choice. Why is this? frightening musa and uh, whenever one gives musa obviously the main recipient is oneself that's what it should be in the case of almost and that is the case what i'm about to say it's possible to say you know i can't learn so much because i have a job to do or i'm at uni and i have a lot of studies and i don't have much time left for learning and that might well be absolutely true but let's say you're working for nine hours a day and let's say you have three hours left for learning and you don't use them all for learning. Let's say you spend a long time watching YouTube before you actually get down to opening the Safer. What does that tell you about your real commitment to learning? In other words, if somebody never has not a lot of time for learning, but they lose every minute of that allotted time for learning, then clearly it's, uh, it's not their choice to only learn for a short period of time because the rest of the time they're working or at uni or whatever. But if somebody says, I'm such a busy person, I only have a little bit of time for learning and they don't use all that time for learning, then we can say maybe the time, which is their excuse, the time in their job or their studies is also not um, necessarily a reason that otherwise they would have been So I'm not saying this very clearly. What I'm trying to say is to say that I don't have enough time for learning because I'm doing other things only works if you use every spare minute for learning or for other mitzvahs or or insert mitzvah here but if you have free time and you don't use it all for learning then the time that's not free ceases to be an excuse when yakov you spends two years unnecessarily delaying coming back to his father not only does he have to pay a penalty for those two years but the previous 20 are included because now he's got no excuse. He can't say, ah, had I not been working for love, I would have been seeing my father like a shot because he wasn't even when he had the opportunity to do so. So this is what I want to say. When people say, I've got to work at my job for nine hours, I've only got three hours for learning," So we don't get a penalty for not learning for those nine hours because you don't have a choice. Ah, but if you don't use all your free time for learning, then may be the nine hours that you spent in your job also are seen to be a time when you're not learning. And and this is exactly what happened with Yaakov. Because those two years when he could have rushed to be with his father, but he didn't, um, therefore, we can say the other 20 years, he also have to pay a price. And that, I think, is a really powerful answer to this obvious question. But going back to the Rashi, even though he was away from his father for 36 years, he's only punished for 22 years, punished by being away from his own son. And that's because the 14 years were in yeshiva, and that you always get credit for. And by the way, I'm, I'm not going to give a halachit pasak here, but um, if there is ever an excuse for not being with your parents and not honoring them, and there may be, and moving to Israel is probably a good reason as well, but sitting in yeshiva is a time when I think you get a um, an equivalent merit to honoring your parents, uh, as we can see from this. Okay, that was basically one long rashi, and it's sort of taken the whole evening but it's probably appropriate because we've now learned it well and we've now reached a absolute an appropriate juncture being the end of Parshat Toldot. you we can have a little see him, very little see him <laughs> and next week hashem, we will start with parashat Vayetze and the continuing story of yakov on the run and emits hashem will be back here live and also on the podcast and also on uh, zoom and we'll see you then Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, okay. you.